This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Well, praise the Lord. Family, are you ready for the Word of God? Those of you online, are you ready for the Word of God? I can also hear them. Praise the Lord. Won't you stand, everybody? We're going to open in prayer. And while you're doing that this evening, I want to take this opportunity and thank Apostle Theo and Dr. Bear for this wonderful privilege and honor to be able to minister the Word of God with you this evening. So let us bow our heads and pray tonight. Heavenly Father, as always, we remember that without you we can do nothing. So we come tonight to receive from you from heaven. And Lord, this is your church. These are your people. And my prayer is that every ear is open to hear, every heart is ready to receive, and every life will change as a result of your words. I do not trust in my own abilities, but totally depend upon you. And so, Father, in advance, I give you alone all the praise, the honor, and glory for what you're about to accomplish in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody that loves the Lord says, Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. And as you are doing that, family, I want to encourage you to get a pen, get a notepad, following your Bibles, or use our church app. If you go to the Christian Family Church app, go right to the bottom on the left. You'll see there's some notes, and you can follow and make notes as you go along there. Praise God. Well, as you know, we are continuing with our next part on the book of James. Hasn't this series been amazing? I mean, I've really loved it. I don't know about you, but it's been so awesome just to receive all these nuggets each and every week. You remember when I ministered last, I mentioned to you that the book of James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. That's what it is, just full of powerful nuggets. So we're going to continue with that this evening. And tonight, we are going to be focusing on finding God's will. Who wants God's will? We all do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, family, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever wondered, those watching online, those in person, have ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? Have you ever sat back and just wondered that? What is God's will? What is God's will for my family? What is God's will for study? What is God's will for me in the house of God? Amen. Have you ever thought about that? Just pondered on that? Maybe your question is, what do I do with my life? There are so many people that have that question. Hey, man, I don't know what to do with my life. You know, this, this uh, world has changed a lot in the last 12 months. Amen. And it seems to be changing rapidly all the time. But yet in such a changing world, we can have a sure foundation in God's will. Amen. And so this evening, we're going to look at that. As we study God's will for our life, you're going to see that it really falls into two areas or two pieces. And we must all understand that God has a purpose for everybody. Every person in this room, in the other venues, every person online, God has a purpose for your life. You're not here by accident. And you will see, as we look at these two ways, how that works in your life. And then we're going to hear what James has to say about it. So the first one or the first piece of these two wills for your life is what we call the life-defining purpose. What is your life-defining purpose? That's the main thing. What is that main thing that I'm supposed to be doing? Well, I suppose the best way to describe it is to say to this, what would they be saying about you at your funeral? The thing that they would say about you at your funeral that's probably the best way to say that was your life-defining purpose, the thing that they said at your funeral. If you read through the Bible and you read the story of Esther, who remembers the story of Esther? If they were to speak about Esther, 
they would say that at the end of her life, her life-defining purpose was that she saved her people. She saved a nation. That was her life-defining purpose. How many of you have heard the name William Wallace? How many of you remember the movie Braveheart? Freedom. Remember that? Remember they painted their faces and they went out there and fought the English? How many of you remember that movie? Well, what was he known for? You see, William Wallace, his defining moment was when he won the battle at Stirling Bridge against the British. That's the thing he'll be remembered for. You know, yeah, they went out there. The odds were against them, but they won. And he'll be remembered for that. And you know, family, sometimes your life-defining purposes aren't uh, uh, appreciated until later in your life. They really only aren't discovered, perhaps, until later in your life. If I was to say the name to you, Mordecai Ham. How many of you even know who Mordecai Ham is? I'm sure some of you do, but some of you say, hey, I've never heard that name. Well, family, Mordecai Ham was the man who was preaching the night that Billy Graham got saved. That's who Mordecai Ham was. Mordecai Ham was the man who led Billy Graham to the Lord. And even in my early years as a believer, I didn't know that. I only came to find that out later. I knew who Billy Graham was. Once while walking through America, we were going through Hollywood, and I saw his star on the, on the, where all the famous stars are. There's Billy Graham. He's got his name right there in Hollywood. I didn't even know back then that Mordecai Ham played that amazing role in his life, and you know that Billy Graham has led multitudes to the Lord. But yet, it wasn't until later that people really discovered the role that Mordecai Ham played. And often, family, your defining purpose will sneak up on you. It grows sometimes out of a crisis. If you think about that, something happens, it's not great. God gives you favor right in the middle of it. You step in, God multiplies your effectiveness, and you become known for that thing. A great example is David, King David. You know the story about David? I mean, he gets told to go and see his brothers. They're at war. He wasn't thinking about war. He wasn't thinking about fighting. There's nowhere when you read his story that he had all his equipment with him. He arrived there just to bring his brother's food. There was a crisis. <laughs> there was a crisis. God's army were being challenged by the Philistines. And there was this crisis. And in the middle of that crisis, the opportunity rose. And David became known. Most people will remember him as the one who killed Goliath, the giant slayer. And so often it's the crisis that really uh, steps us into our life-defining purpose. You see, family, when you're faced with a problem, you must remember this. You must remember this when you're faced with a problem, that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is all-knowing. You know, there's never been a day ever where God said, I didn't see that coming. There's never been a day where God said, COVID, I didn't know you guys were going to have COVID. I really had no idea that there was going to be this lockdown thing. God is all-knowing. You know why that's good news? Let me tell you why that's good news. While it may be a surprise to you, family, the challenge is not a surprise to God. And it's good news because He is already at work at a solution before you even knew you had a problem. That's the awesome truth, amen? And that's why God is going to always make sure if you will seek His face and stay in the middle of His will, He will take care of you. And so, family, sometimes the crisis or the problem is the very thing God uses to be your life-defining purpose. 
Never look at a challenge and think, I am done. Look at a challenge and say, I'm excited for what God's about to do. Because that might be the very thing that catapults you into your life-defining purpose. Amen. And so then the second piece, that was just the first piece, the second piece of God's will is that there, there, there is your life-encompassing purpose. Now we, we, we spoke about your life-defining one, but you have the life-encompassing purpose. That's what you are doing all the time, every day. It's not the main thing, but it's the everyday thing. And we read about that in Acts 17, 26. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Acts 17, 26. I want to read this to you out of the NRV. And it says this. From one man, God made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he, God, determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. That last phrase you can preach a whole message on. That God determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Why do you live where you live? Have you ever thought about that? Why do you live where you live? Why were you born now and not 200 years ago? I believe that that's the will of God. You see, family, there's a purpose for you to be alive today. And that's to live out the purposes of God. It's not just the one big thing. In fact, if you are just thinking about the defining purpose and that's all you're after, you're going to miss the encompassing purposes of God every day. And you're going to be looking out for what is this one big thing I'm supposed to be doing? What is it? What is, where's my Goliath that's going to change my life? And then you miss out in the everyday will of God. And we've got to be careful about that, you see. Your one big thing, if you just focus on it, could cause you to miss the everyday purposes of God. And so tonight, we're going to look at three things that you can do every day to fulfill the life-encompassing will of God. And here's the key. As you are doing that, as you are fulfilling the life-encompassing will of God, then that will lead you to, to the defining will of God. The everyday steps that you are doing to stay in the will of God will lead you to that one big thing. What happens if David said to his dad, I'm not going. You want me to take food to my brothers? I'm not going. I'm not up to this. I'm just going to chill with the sheep. Like a yeah, you know, I'm not going to go. If he never went, he would never slay Goliath. He would never have heard of David again. So sometimes you think your little everyday routine Staying in that will of God every day is not accomplishing much. It's leading you to that life-defining purpose. So then how can I live out my everyday uh, encompassing will of God? Well, I'm going to give you three things tonight. Really the A, Bs, and Cs. If you can remember A, B, C, you can remember these. So are you ready? So here we go. The first one. God's will is A, this. I acknowledge the fact that I need some help. The first thing is to acknowledge the fact I need a Savior. I need help. Amen. And James says that in James chapter 4 and verse 1, it says this. Now, remember, who's James writing to? James is writing to the believers. He's writing to the church, right? Say he's writing to me. You online, he's writing to you. That's who he's writing to. And he's speaking to the church, and this is what he says in verse 1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have 
So you kill. You do what? You kill. I mean, this is church people. <laughs> They're not teaching that to your children in children's church. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. He's speaking to the church. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Doesn't that sound like a messed up bunch of people? They sound like a people who need a savior. They sound like people who need help. You see, family, people look good on the outside, but secretly on the inside, they really have a desire for more money, more status, more respect, more affection. And often those things lead to quarrels and fights, according to what James has said, to killing of reputations and relationships. That's what they do. When I'm after all these things, and then I'm destroying the relationships that are around me. I'm really killing those relationships when all I want is more of those things in my life. He went on to say to coveting, comparing. When I'm just comparing what you have and what I want, what you got, and vice versa, all that is doing is just really, it's sucking the life out of us. It really truly is. You see, we covet other people's jobs, their status in life, and sadly, sometimes even people's spouses. We covet what other people want. And that's a problem. James is saying that's a problem. James says to that church, and he's saying to this church today, instead of wanting what other people have, you should be asking God for what you want, rather than saying, I want your stuff. I desire what you have. I want your house, your car. I want your job. I want your status. Why don't you just ask God? And he tells us that, but even that's not working. Even though they're asking God, that's not working. In James chapter 4 from verse 2, he says this. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, even when you eventually come to God and ask, you don't get it. Why? Because your motives are all wrong. Your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Too much of me. Too much of I. I want to look better than the next. And that's the challenge, and that's what James is saying to us. You see, the problem is, family, that people are in love with the wrong things. They really are in love with the wrong things. People are in love with the world instead of the things of God. And you see, I can understand that a person can easily get deceived of thinking that what I want is good, or else I wouldn't want it. People can get deceived to think in that way. But James is saying, that we have what we, sorry, James is saying that what we want, even though we think it's good, can actually be hurtful and not helpful. That's what it can be. You know, I, um, I've got three sons, and they're all grown up now. The baby's 19. <laughs> the baby's 19. And I remember, though, when they were growing up, and they got to that stage where they could walk. You know, they could walk around now. They can't really say anything, but they can walk. And when that starts happening, you start to make your house baby-proof. And sometimes for the grannies and grandpas, you're living that life again. I just heard today. Okay, You start to live that life a second time. But they start to walk around, so you move things up to the next shelf. And then the little ones like to walk around. And you know the place they love the most? It's the kitchen. Why? Because there's a whole lot of doors that are at their height. A whole lot of doors that are at their height. So what do you do is you start to buy those little locks. And you put them on the door so that the little ones can't get in. And so I can remember my little ones walking around. But there's always a door in the kitchen that you can't put that lock on. 
because it's just in the corner. There's nothing to latch it to. And they figure that out. And so they make a beeline for that door. And as a father, I knew that if he gets in there, it's not good for him or for me. Because mommy's going to come back and say, what have you done to my kitchen? So the little guy makes a little beeline for the door. And I run up there to get there ahead of him. And all I simply do is I just put my knee against the door in a way that he can't see it's me. Because, you know, I want him to like me. <laughs> I don't want him to think I'm the bad guy. And he tries to open the little door. He can't get inside there because my knee's against the door. He can't say anything. But he looks up at you. And he's just in his eyes. He's saying, hey, daddy, can't you help me? But what he doesn't realize is that it's daddy that's preventing him from getting in there. Daddy's the one that knows if you get in, it's not good for you. That's the problem. And you see, all of you that have children, whether they're young or grown up, there's times you've said no to them, not because you don't want them to have it, because it's not time for them to have it yet. Your 10-year-old can possibly drive your car, but they're not mature enough. They don't have the maturity, and that driving the car can harm them. And you see, family, it's actually God's grace that at times He's saying no. It's His grace that says no. Not that He's trying to prevent you from getting what you want, but He knows that if you get what you want, it can hurt you. And so James says in James 4 verse 6 that God gives grace generously. And sometimes that generous grace is just to say, not now. Not now. He goes on to say, as the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace can say no. You know, grace is for the believer. You know that. Grace is what God gives the believer so we can live our life out correctly. I love what Titus says in Titus 2 from verse 11. It says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, that's grace. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's God's grace that sometimes is saying, not now. That's what God's grace is. So how can, I, how can I do this? How can I make sure I have this grace working on my life? Well, family, James 4 verse 7 says, just give yourselves completely to God. If you'll just give yourselves completely to God, if you'll be a person who just surrenders, whether we realize it or not, family, you need God's help. We all need His help. We need the help of our Savior. And James 4 verse 8 goes on to say this, Come close to God and He will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Humble yourselves before the Lord. I love this. And He will. He will. He will lift you up in honor. Isn't that awesome? So when we humble ourselves, when we say, God, I'm just going to surrender to you. I don't know why it's a no now. But you know what? I'm just going to surrender. I must acknowledge you know better and your grace is in operation here. And in due time, you're going to give me what I need. You see, family, do you think it gives God pleasure to lean his knee against the door? No. It doesn't give him pleasure to lean the knees against the door. God wants to lift you up. In fact, Jesus said when he was speaking about his mission in John 10, 10, Jesus said that he came that you might have life and have it to the full. 
God wants you to have life to the full. But there are times we have to wait for certain things. They just take time. And so that happens, family, when we humble ourselves. So as we can see, God's will is that we, number one, acknowledge that we need help and we need a Savior. The second thing to always remain in God's will every day, number two, or B as you might call it, is to believe the best about everyone you meet. Believe the best about everyone you meet every day. Every day. There are three main reasons. If you will do this, if you will believe the best in everyone you meet, then the first thing is that we need to find out or come to realize that it's not our responsibility to judge others. It's not our responsibility. If I want to remain in God's will, it's not my responsibility to judge others. Listen to the statement. Stress is the inevitable result when you take responsibility for something you have no authority in. Let me repeat that again. Stress is the inevitable result when you take responsibility for something you have no authority in. You see, family, in life it's like that. When you take responsibility for things you don't have authority for, it's going to cause you stress. It's just going to cause you stress. So don't judge people because you don't have the authority to do so. You see? And for most part, you don't have that responsibility or the authority to judge other people. There are some exceptions. If you're a judge for a, a career, then that's your job. If you're part of a, a disciplinary committee or team, that's your job. If you're a parent, that's your job. But other than that, that's about it. There's no other place for us. We are not supposed to do that, you see. James 4.11 says this, Don't speak evil against each other. Dear brothers and sisters, God alone who gives the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? What right do you have to judge your neighbor? You know, church, God has the responsibility to love, and you know He can do that better than anybody, right? He has the responsibility to correct and to guide and to discipline because He is the most uh, uh, faithful and honorable of all. He will never get that wrong. But we have the responsibility just to love everybody. Isn't that the best job in the world? We have the best job in the world, just to love everybody. The Bible says, it says this, it says that, oh, nothing to no man but to love them. That's our job, just to love people. It's not our job to judge them. And so rather than assume the authority of a judge, it's usually better and best to leave the judging to God. And here's another reason why um, it's best to leave the judging to God. And that's when you judge others, you are wrong most of the time. When you judge others, you are wrong most of the time. You see, family, somebody might walk past you and not greet you. They might come across like they're a bit aloof or rude. They might really just ignore you when you speak to them. And straight away, we start to judge them for what they're doing. But the truth is, you don't know what they're going through. Maybe they just got bad news that day. Perhaps maybe... They have got pressure on them to finish a task and their mind is so consumed about the work they have to do. And we, go, we so easily judge them not realizing what they are going through. And so we must learn not to judge them at all because we're going to be wrong most of the time. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says from the message translation. It says this, 
So don't get ahead of the master and jump to conclusions with your judgments before all the evidence is in. Before all the evidence is in. When will all the evidence be in? Well, the next portion of that verse is when Jesus comes. <laughs> so for the rest of the time until he returns, it's not our job. The evidence will all be in when Jesus comes. So until then, don't judge. Just leave it and God will take care of that. And here's another good reason to believe the best of others. Is that when you believe the best, it allows you to engage the law of reciprocity. The law of reciprocity. Say that with me, reciprocity. reciprocity. No, okay, don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> it allows you to engage the law of reciprocity. You know, social psychologists say this. When somebody does something nice for you, you will have a deep-rooted desire and urge to do something nice in return. It's a fact. They say it was a fact. Now, if you've been into a building with multiple doors, you go into a building and they've got several doors, and as you're about to get there and this other person arrives at the same time, you open the door for them. They say that that person is going to try outdo you and open any other doors that you might be going through. It's just a fact. That's called the law of reciprocity. Jesus said it this way. This is the way Jesus said it. In Luke 6, verse 37, he says this, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over, and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, I know we often use that verse when we receive the offering, and that's the right place for it as well. But yet, Jesus is really telling us what you do for others will come back to you. That's really what he's telling us. What you do for others will come back to you. So, if I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to judge anybody, I'm going to think the best of them, if I will do that, the law of reciprocity will start to work for me. It will start to work for you. Amen. So as we look at this, God's will is that, number one, A, we acknowledge the fact that we need help, we need a Savior. B, that um, the, we think and believe the best for every person that we meet. And when we do that, it's not our responsible to judge, uh, uh, responsibility to judge others. And we believe the best in them, which engages the law of reciprocity. And this leads us to the third one. If I want to always remain in God's will every day of my life, the third thing I must remember is the A, B's, and C's. C is to consult with God before you do anything. Consult with God before you do anything. How many of you made a decision because something looked good? Maybe you invested. Maybe you bought a property. Maybe you decided to, 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 to I don't know, buy a timeshare, whatever it is, and, you, and you, you made the decision because it looked good. And then a few months later or a year later, you thought, gee, if I had just not done that. Anybody been there? I know I've been there. I know I've made a decision because something looked right. It just looked right, and I made the decision, and I regretted it later because it was the wrong decision. Well, let me give you an example of somebody who did something like that. Has anybody heard of the name of a person called Ronald Wayne? Anybody heard of Ronald Wayne? Well, Ronald Wayne was the co-founder of Apple. Now, you might not know that because everybody thinks that the founder of Apple were Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, and they were. But Ronald Wayne was one of them also right at the beginning. 
And Ronald Wayne, in the beginning, invested one and a half thousand US dollars to get 10% share of Apple. That's what he did. He made that investment with them when they started off. But you see, Ronald got a little bit nervous because Steve Jobs, if you read his life story, he was a little bit of a visionary maniac. That's what he was. And uh, so Ronald thought, listen, I could lose my money here. And a few weeks later, he sold his 10% shares for $2,300, and which netted him $800, netted him $800 profit just a few weeks later. If Ronald Wayne had waited to today, his $1,500 investment would be worth $50 billion U.S. dollars. $50 billion U.S. dollars. That's a bad decision. Would you agree that is a bad decision to pull the $1,500 out where today he would have been worth a lot more? You see, family, timing is everything. Timing is everything. And if I don't know if this man was a believer or not, but can you imagine if he just consulted with God? And God said, just hang in there. Just wait. Today, his life would be very different. You see, James says in four, James chapter 4, verse 13, it says this. And now I have a word for you who brashly announced, Today, at the latest tomorrow, we are off to such and such a city for a year where we are going to start a business and make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we are still alive, we will do this or that. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to go to God before we do anything. We need to consult with God before we do anything. Let me help you with the right question to ask. Here's the right question to ask. No matter what you're about to do, ask this question. Well, what am I about to do? Will this honor God? That's the question. The thing that I'm about to do, will this honor God? If you will ask that question over and over every day, you will stay in the center of God's will for your life. If you think of the of finances, a lot of people think, will this financial decision make me a lot of money? Now, there's nothing wrong with asking that question. And if you're in business, you're supposed to make money, right? That's what you're supposed to do. But the right question to ask is not, will this make me more money? The right question to ask is, will this honor God? Because you can make money, a lot of it, selling drugs. A lot of it. You can make a lot of money by cutting somebody out, bribes. You can make a lot of money, but will that honor God? So the right question to ask when you're going, making a business decision is not, will this make me more money, but will this honor God? What about relocation decisions? You might say, well, is that a better place for me to live? Maybe it's better for me to live over there. A lot of people relocate because they just want a fresh start in life. That's what they want to do. They want to just go somewhere because they want a fresh start. But the problem with that is when you move to a new place, you take you with you. <laughs> you take you with you. The question needs to be, Lord, if I go there, will that honor you? Because what happens if your destiny is here? What happens if the people that you are called to impact are here? And you move there. You're straight out of God's will for your life. Can you imagine the weight on your shoulder if you're supposed to lead certain people to Jesus and God destined you to do that and you've moved somewhere else 
and they don't come to the Lord. That's a heavy weight. I don't want to have to answer Jesus on that day because I thought a house somewhere would be better than where I am right now. So the question is always, will this honor God? What about fashion decisions? Fashion decisions. The question is, not will this make me look sexy? <laughs> Mostly for the ladies, I, I, I'd be shocked if a guy said that, but you never know these days. Okay. Not will this, make me no sex, will, will this make me look sexy? If you're going into the room and you open up the cupboard and you take out that outfit, the question should be, Lord, will this honor you if I wear it? Will this honor you if I wear it or not? Amen? Praise the Lord. And those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. God, when I make a decision, is it going to honor you? So James, we can see as some stern warnings. It's because God, is it because God is just a stick in the mud and he wants to rain on your parade? No, family. It's because God loves you and he wants the best for you. He really does want the best for you. And he wants to make sure that when you make choices in life, when you want to be in the center of his will, he wants to make sure that when you ask the right questions, you will always be in the center of his will. Jesus said this in Matthew 6 from verse 31. He says this. So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And He, God, will give you everything you need. If we will just go to God first, if we remember those A, Bs, and Cs, what happens if we just acknowledge the fact every day that I need help, I need a Savior? What happens, church, if we just choose to believe the best of every person we meet? And the third one, if we consult with God before we do anything. If we did those things, do you think your life would be better? Do you think the world would be better? The church would be better? Of course it would be. And so James is trying to help us to make sure we can live a life right in the middle of God's will. So I want to encourage you with that this evening, to remember those three things, A, B, and C. Acknowledge you need help, you need a Savior. B, believe the best in everyone you meet. And C, consult with God before you do anything. Amen. I hope that encourages you and helps you this evening. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Well, family, we've come to the most important part of the service. And that's to ask all of you this evening that are here and those that are online, are you in the will of God regarding your relationship with Him? Are you in right standing with God? I want to give you an opportunity to know today that you are. Make the right choice to be in the will of God. Won't you bow your heads and close your eyes at this time? And I want to invite those of you who do not know the Lord this evening to make a decision to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. Friend, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not asking you to come out. You just stay in your seats. Obviously, those of you online, wherever you are, I simply want to pray a simple prayer with you. And my first invitation is to say to those who do not know Jesus as Lord, if you've never invited Him into your heart, I want to pray a prayer with you that tonight you can know for sure you're in right standing with God. You see, the Bible says in Romans that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. In other words, you'll be in right standing with God. My second invitation is to anybody, whether you're online or in person, and you're saying, you know, I once served God, but I've moved out of His will. I know I've drifted out of His will. 
I want to come back home tonight. Friend, if you'll allow me to include you in this prayer, you can be restored once again with your relationship with God and be back in the perfect will of God. And thirdly, my third invitation is to any person that perhaps has this question in their heart. And your question might be, I do not know what will happen to me when I breathe my last. I don't know if I'll make it to heaven or if I'll slip into the flames of hell. Friend, don't leave here tonight. Or those watching, don't tune out tonight with that question unanswered. If you'll allow me to pray for you, for any of those three invitations, you can know for sure that heaven will be your home. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you want to come to Jesus for the first time, come back to Him or know for sure that heaven is your home. When I count to three, will you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking. Just raise it above your head and I'll pray for you. One, two, three. Just raise it above your head. I need Jesus. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Great decision you're making this evening. That's wonderful. For those in another venue, if you raise your hand, we'd appreciate that. And for those that are online, just simply where you are, you can just raise your hand Take it down again. I want to pray this prayer with all of you that have raised your hand here this evening and those that are online. I'm going to invite everybody to join us, but especially those that raise their hand. Let's say this together. Say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight just as I am. I ask you, Lord, please forgive me for every wrong decision I've made, for all my sin. I tonight choose to forgive every person who has hurt me or offended me. And I confess that Jesus, you are my Lord and you were raised from the dead. Because of this prayer, I now know I am part of your family. Heaven is my home and you are my loving Father. In Jesus' name, Amen and amen. Welcome to the family of God. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.